What's up, pals, and welcome back to another edition of the Comics Pals Book Club. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined today by the Comics Pals. Hello, hello. <laughs> there you go. Sean did it. You guys don't know how to say, know how to say hello? <laughs> no. We've never left. We've been here the whole time. <laughs> Strapped to the same chairs. <laughs> well, it's everybody sans Phil, so you know it's going to be a good episode, actually. Uh, <laughs> I promise that's the only time I'll make fun of him this whole episode. Uh, so we, we are back uh, for another edition. We are going to be reading uh, a little selection in honor of Spider-Man Far From Home, which debuts uh, in just a, a week or two, I think, at the time of this publishing. And uh, for our selection this month, I have chosen the Mysterio-focused story, As Dreams Are Made On, which collects uh, web spinners, Tales of Spider-Man, number one through three, by the creative team of of John Mark Dematis, who was the writer, Michael Zuli, who was the primary penciler with Vince Locke, uh, assisting on issue number three, and Christy Scheel on colors. Uh, so this story um, is the, the first book that I've ever chosen for the book club that I didn't read prior to the book club. I wanted to do a story all about Mysterio, and I found that it was like pretty difficult to find a significant meaty story about Mysterio that was more than like an issue or two. Um, so I found a lot of praise for this story and thought it would be a uh, a nice selection. So I'm excited to jump into it and hear what you guys thought about it. Um, so let's let's start with I think one of the things that I thought was the most strange thing about the book, uh, which was the framing device of Peter as the narrator. And, like, it being, you know, him telling a story about his past from his perspective as an adult. So, what, what did you guys think about that? Like, did that did that framing device work for you? Nope. No. Wasn't it something similar to, like, uh, Spider-Man Blue? Yeah, it is, it is pretty similar to that. It is similar to that, but in Spider-Man Blue, he's not talking to the audience. Sure. Right, he's talking to Gwen. Yeah. Which is definitely, like, for me, that works because the entire story is about him going up to the attic and talking to Gwen. This just felt like a very like it was strange. It was very strange to have him just like break the fourth wall and be like, "Let me tell you all about my angsty teenage days of my friend the reader." I felt like I was watching a like one of those 90s shows about a murderer and you have this like older white <laughs> dude who comes out and he's like, "Listen, let me tell you about the life of Quentin Choir. <laughs> Let me tell you about the life of one Quentin Choir. Oh, Mysterio. Oh, 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 like a like an unsolved mysteries. Yeah, kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Because okay. he, he even like I, I I mean I don't have the pages right in front of me, but I feel like at the very end, Peter even like disappears into the shadows. Yep. Like he does, he fades into the black. I swear I've seen that on TV. Or he like steps out in into like the fire or whatever in the. <laughs> it was hokey and ridiculous. It was so fucking weird. <laughs> I I I don't know if you guys have seen the the meme going around of um, William Frakes from the show uh, Factor Fiction telling you you're wrong for like four minutes or something. <laughs> no, that's that's what that feels like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was weird and like it was. Like, obviously, um, having narration in a comic is, like, particularly a superhero comic, like, having the character talk about what's going on or whatever to provide context can be, like, a helpful tool, but, like, oh my god, it was real wordy, too, yeah. you know, like, 
<laughs> he talks so much. Listen, I like J.M. Demattis, but he is no Claremont. Like, <laughs> oh, J.M. Demattis. I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. It's just full name, though. He just uses his initials now. I would, and I, I, I don't know that I've ever read any of his Marvel work, so I wonder what, uh, yeah. what the deal with that is. He wrote Craven's Last Hunt, which is a book that we read on an earlier book club and we really liked. Um, and that's, yeah, that's one of like my favorite Spider-Man stories. Yeah, I mean, and it's one of the most well-regarded Spider-Man stories of all time. Uh, this is not that. And uh, I didn't, like Marco, I didn't even realize it was him because his, his whole name was spelled right. out here. Yeah. And then once I realized it, I was like, wait, wow, what? What? <laughs> I realized live. That was a live reaction. <laughs> um, I, I think like it was I definitely agree like the framing device sort of was weird and, and what initially kind of noted as like huh this is going to be interesting and then uh, lo and behold it was very interesting it was a weird take on a otherwise character that I have only known from the TV show and so it was just kind of it felt a little hokey and I think I don't know. I, I feel like we'll dig into it. Do you mean the framing device or the story? Kind overall? of the story. Like it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, that actually takes me into one of the like first questions I wanted to dive into, which is like, what is each of your uh, history with Mysterio prior to this? You know, have you read other stories starring Mysterio? Are you familiar with him much at all? Or Marco, obviously, you said you really had only seen him in the cartoon, right? Yeah, the cartoons and maybe... Has he been in a video game? He was in the one on the PlayStation and the N64. Then... Which is wait. one that most people our age have played. It was the Neversoft one. Oh, from like the 2000s? Yeah, like 1999, maybe, maybe okay. 2000, 2001. That's yeah. the, mo- that's the extent of my familiarity. Okay. For me, the cartoon and... um probably here and there is like a minor villain elsewhere uh similar to the shocker i think is Mm, is mostly where i've seen him but also uh in guardian devil he's like uh he's the the main antagonist in in that daredevil story right that was kevin smith's run on daredevil that's yeah that's right um which is (laughs) leagues better i mean it's a different writer obviously but like yeah Oh, it's funny. I almost picked that for this book club, but I was like, well, I want to do a Spider-Man well, story. Yeah, like, and that's the thing is, like, if you ask me, that's the only good Mysterio story. <laughs> yeah, uh, my familiarity with Mysterio really just comes from the uh, TV show, and then he was in Ultimate Spider-Man, and, uh, you know, some some of the video games... Um, but that's that's oh and Spider-Man Rain he was cool in that um, but that's that's yeah. about it I'm curious then because my my understanding of Mr. was that he's at least like a pretty popular character just because of the way that he was used I guess and maybe in the TV show and just the way he's permeated from that but my understanding was he's like uh, like up there in the in the echelon of his rogues gallery like, the thing is, he is and he isn't, which is why, like, I kind of wanted to bring this question yeah. up, because obviously, like I said, I chose this book because it's one of the few relevant Mysterio stories that people talk about that's longer than an issue or two. Really? So it's like, he has had 
you know, his first appearance was cool. Mm-hmm. Like, he's had a few bouts with Spidey, but, like, he's really primarily, I think, thought of in that way because he was a member of the Sinister Six on more than one occasion. And I feel like that is similar, like Kale said, to the Shocker kind of elevated him to this status that I don't really think that he would have achieved otherwise because I love Mysterio. Um, Like, I think his design is really cool. Yeah. His gimmick is, like, super goofy, but, like, it's, like, very, like, classic zany comic book villain and like he's kind of the weirdest guy in like spidey's arsenal like that you know most of them are like they're either a genius scientist or some thug who has gear you know um and mysterio is like this kind of weird wild card but like he really isn't that prominent like he's a he's a favorite of mine but i feel like if he wasn't a spider-man villain you wouldn't even know his name You know, it, uh, it was funny. You mentioned the uh, Sinister Six. When they popped up, I was like, what are the Secret Six doing here? Wow. <laughs> wow. God damn it, Mark. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Mysterio is well regarded because he's very different. Um, he's cool. He's, yeah, he's cool, but like his powers are very much non-traditional in the sense that he doesn't even really have powers um he just can mess with spider-man's head and he's he actually just has talent like he's just act he's just actually a talented person um and you don't really see that like even dr octopus is a super genius scientist but his powers he, he has powers he has you know something that doesn't just come from his mind right um, yeah. Whereas Mysterio can build these elaborate sets and he uses technology to deceive people and stuff like that. And that's really unique, especially for Spider for Marvel villains. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you compare him to the rest of the Sinister Six, he's the only character that's like that. You know, like even like even like the Shocker or somebody who's like literally just wearing armor or whatever. Like he's also like a mercenary and like a trained fighter like quentin's literally just like a prop dude some special effects yeah. guy like that's he it. holds the boom yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know he, rem- he reminds me of a 60s batman villain sure you know he yeah he put he put, he put spider-man on the keys of a giant typewriter mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah it, it, for, for when he came because he debuted in like earliest uh, early spider-man stuff right um, yeah. And so, like, mm-hmm. it's very yeah. much along the that vein. So, which is why he, I feel like, sticks out so much. Um, but is remembered the way he is. That's also a good point. Is he is one of the villains that was created by the original team in the original run. And I think, you know, even the more minor players among them, like, are kind of put on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I always remember uh, Fancy Dan and. That crew <laughs> that used to just appear. Yeah. I feel like every three issues. Fancy dick. Yeah, man. <laughs> but yeah, so so taking it into um to the book itself as as dreams are made on, um you know it, it seems like I, I I'm getting the rumblings of uh of of some negative feelings about the story. How do you guys think this works as a Mysterio story? Right, like it it really makes an effort here to I think kind of like make a stamp on Quentin and like tell his backstory and explain why he is who he is and what like why or why didn't that work for you? Can we talk about the title for just a second before as dreams are made on? 
<laughs> I don't. What? Well, you make you and the make fact dreams. that it has an ellipsis on both sides of it, like <laughs> the in the the in between of a sentence. Yeah, I guess. I think what for for me what sort of set up Quentin. Well, one that the narration, right? The way it sort of introduced him was confusing uh, on the uh, like j- just from the start, right? Because of the way that it's like, oh, it's talking about um, Quentin's story as if Peter knows his story because he has somehow like it was just weird to sort of. Uh, Try to figure out, okay, where are we getting our footing to, to enter this book? Um, so that threw me off at, at the start. And then you kind of, you get his, you get his backstory. It's like, okay, fine, whatever, you know, um, pretty classic stuff. His dad was a dick, yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and that's one thing, like, this, you know, this is something that a lot of Spider-Man's villains as, as, and I'm sure a lot of, other villains in particular share they were all it seems like they were all beat by their dad and their dad was an alcoholic <laughs> like i'm reminded of uh, kingpin his dad you know he killed his dad because he was hitting his mom and then i think otto did something similar didn't he i'm not sure about otto but when you look at ha- even harry norman i don't know has ever been a I don't know if I ever saw him abuse him, but I mean, he's a monster. Oh, I, th- I think I, I think he definitely hit him. Probably. I just don't recall ever seeing it. But yeah, it's a, it's an yeah. easy inference at the very least. Yeah, based on their fucking dynamic for yeah. sure. Um, Which is so funny that like so many of them are that way, and that like Peter is so the opposite. Like he's so defined by a positive male role model in his life, and like that. Um, kind of dichotomy between Peter and Quentin is like a thing that is really driven home in this story, right? That like that Peter is basically a Quentin waiting to happen if he hadn't had, you know, Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Right, a support system to to just like ground him. Yeah. Um, and And to like and to like nurture the things about him that made him who he is. Yeah. And it, it it made him uh, at least like a sympathetic character, and then maybe m- more so as he tries to interact with with other people around him and just kind of like make a life. And it and it it tries to portray him as someone who sort of falls back into this, even though like uh, into supervillainy. Yeah, like he wanted to go straight, but nobody would give him a job because right. he was a criminal, and you know, which uh, I th- I think makes him at least like a likable character um, or somebody that you can at least put against Peter to sort of root root for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I really was cool with the story, like the origin that they gave Quentin here. Um I like the fact that he has more to him than just being, you know, this this wacky stunt guy or special effects guy who, you know, things went wrong for. I like the backstory and everything like that. Um, it's a little bit, you know, on the on the cliche side, I guess. Mm-hmm. But whatever, you know. Um, everybody's got to have a backstory, yeah. and I think this is fine. It's 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 very fine. Yeah. Overall, then, would you guys argue that do you, like you you felt like the book did a good job of of, of humanizing him for you? Uh, that see that okay. So <laughs> that's a different yeah. question. The yeah. backstory he has. 
doesn't make me feel like his behavior is even remotely justified because honestly like what he went through is very 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 common and people get by um that doesn't mean that what he went through wasn't bad it sucks a lot but it's it's a common experience and unfortunately there are a lot of people walking around today that have that what i liked about the book and this is something that is you know again pretty like it's in a way it's kind of rare and and they make note of it too um peter does at the end and this is where it started to click for me is that mysterio is not that threatening (laughs) and yeah that and that's I say that to say that, like, he... I think Kale brought up earlier, he's, like, like a goofy Batman villain-type character. In the 60s, where the Joker was more likely to, you know, try to beat Batman with a fish than yeah. poison Gotham City, that's what Mysterio's like. When they think he killed all these people, but really he didn't. It was just a set, and he's not really trying to hurt anybody. You can tell he feels bad when he pushes that guy off the, off the Sphinx or whatever, um, he's not a, a, a mean-spirited person to the point where he wants murder and chaos. And I yeah. like that, actually. Yeah, I don't even know that I would necessarily go as far as to call him a villain as much as I would call him, like, a bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, your yeah. standard, you know, this dude just, he, he just wants to rob a bank and, you know, uh, leave, have Spider-Man leave him alone, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, like, and like I like for me, I think that's what humanizes him even more yeah. over the rest of his rogues, uh, with the exception of maybe um uh like the shocker or even some of you know Spidey's uh uh you know uh, C and D list rogues is is just that his background is very unique but very underappreciated. So. I like I almost didn't need the rest of his origin because like his line of work and is unique enough for me to go oh yeah okay I buy that yeah I think um I think I definitely agree with with what you guys are putting down there where I I thought that I feel like the third issue the story really kind of goes off the rails like it's not like it's perfect before then but I feel like they do such a good job of setting up Quentin as kind of like this like somewhat relatable, just kind of like down on his luck guy who like made a mistake and, you know, is like trying to get his life back on track. Mm-hmm. And then it's like he reconnects with Betsy and like there's all this like positive momentum for him. And then he just kind of blows it all up because he like starts acting really fucking crazy and it feels like totally out of left field for the way that they've been portraying him, you know? And like, I don't feel like what, what Sean said. I never felt like what he went through and what happened to him, like in the, the course of the story justified the level to which he ramped his like nutsness, you know? Like it would be, it would be one thing if like it all been fun and games and then like, and I don't, this is what I'm saying I would have wanted to happen. But, like, if, like, like he accidentally killed Betsy and then he was like, oh, no, like, this is the turning point. I'm nuts now. Like, there was no, like, he just all of a sudden is like, ah, goes off the rails, you know? And then, like, 
she gets scared and he's like, oh, I was just kidding. But then he gets crazy and kills the guy again. And it's just like, where, like, where is he at? Why is he behaving this way? Why is he like rubber banding so much? Like, well, I, I think, I think there's a, a similar uh, dichotomy to Spider-Man. Uh, you know, Peter Parker, the narration for from Peter in this talks a lot about how he's nerdy Peter Parker and he gets picked on and nobody likes him. But when he puts on the mask, he's jovial and he can jump around and he can right. do whatever he wants. I, I think it's similar with Mysterio, but the the thing is, you know, we see him with Betsy and and we see the the shift. You know, as Mysterio, he can be the big, tough villain and put on a good show. But when he's with Betsy, who knows him as Quentin, he he's very much remorseful. And he, you know, I think I I got the impression in those interactions that he 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 did really want to try to tone Mysterio down for her so that she couldn't like you know so that she could see that line yeah and i think you're right i just feel like it doesn't i I agree that that was the intent i don't feel like it landed though because it's like these the the extremes are so hot there's no like yeah there's no like activation point for that it it just kind of felt like it it ends in the cliffhanger like at the the last issue he's just kind of like oh and then he like pulls he actually goes through with his with the plan kills people and it's like well then hold on a second what were we just talking about before and then why did we take a left turn on that am i missing something i, I thought the implication was that he actually didn't kill anybody he did kill the guy who he throws up the but Sphinx, that was a right? mistake and that guy didn't die spider-man yeah. saved him that's true i thought he died yeah, but other than that he didn't kill you're anybody. right he didn't kill anybody else he he never and he never was trying to he was just doing you know mysterious stuff Stu- and yeah. that's that's why, like, I guess I'm not sure what extremes you're referencing because he doesn't do anything. I feel like I, I'm talking about specifically when, like, he goes from, like, when Betsy's afraid, yeah. right? And he, like, pulls the character back and he's like, hey, like, I, it was just a game and, like, it's cool, like, whatever. And then, like... All of a sudden, he turns everything oh. into Egypt, and he's like, I love you. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, And then he, like, throws her in a thing, and like, we'll figure it out later. Like, it just seems like all of a sudden, he, like, escalates things very quickly from where he's at emotionally to, like, that next step. I could be misremembering how things happened, but there's a point where they're having a normal conversation while they're up there. And she's like, listen, Mm -hmm. we can just run away and I can tell your story. We can make millions and we can live in Bermuda. And he gets very angry at that. And then he snaps. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. But then he's like, doesn't care. And he says he loves her anyway. Like, I, I think I, I, I honestly, like, I don't remember the exact like way things went down. Um, but I think, I think there was a, more consistent through line uh to as to why he was acting the way he was acting he had a he had a huge reaction to what she said because he doesn't want to be used he's not a prop you know and and then the other guy shows up right like right after she says we can make millions on this story the other guy shows up as he's freaking out and he knocks 
knocks him off. Right. Yeah. And then, like, what the fuck was up with that guy, too? Like, I thought that character was so pointless. Like, they establish him in the beginning, and they're like, hey, he's also a normal loser, just like Peter and Quentin. Why is he here? To punch Mysterio and fall in love with the girl that he was interested in. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it just felt so, like, out of nowhere. This is a really random comparison, but I feel I need to make it anyway. In the Craven story, there's that random rat creature. Oh, yeah. It's like not. Yeah. I feel like this guy is that same rat. Like, like, like what the fuck, Damascus? Like, what's. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't do anything in particular. I guess he was there to be like the third. Because Spider Man and Mysterio, obviously, the Mattis was drawing parallels between them. And I guess he was yeah. trying to use this guy as like an intermediary between them. And not in a literal sense, but in a, in a thematic story sense of like. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It was just weird. It, it felt like so, like he didn't really serve any narrative purpose. Well, and yeah. I mean the way the way this this story starts is is with uh, Spider-Man beating him up, and that sort of comes out of nowhere. Uh, but he it's also like, we're going to talk about Mysterio, but before that, Spider-Man beat the shit out of yeah. this guy named Joe. <laughs> this this series, Web Spinners, is only eighteen issues, so like it's not at least to me, it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe he shows up later and has something else to do because we're only reading the first three issues. These are like, um, these are, it's like an anthology. It's an anthology. So the next story has nothing to do with any of this at all. And so on. I figured, I figured that would be giving it too much credit, but (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like a similar story about like Rhino is like the next arc. Sure. One thing about Betsy is I think all the stuff about her book and like Peter referencing referencing it, you know, through this story, I I I really think that would have been a really great narrative frame in the first place. Maybe, but it would have it would have taken away from the parallels that the Mattis was trying to draw between Spider Man and Mysterio. You really mm. needed Spider-Man's perspective there to be able to draw that out because she doesn't know Spider-Man and she doesn't know that he's Peter. Yeah. Doesn't Peter talk to himself all the time anyway? There was no reason it needed to be future Peter, but what Sean's saying is it couldn't have just been the book as the framing device because you need Peter's context. And And he uses the book to add context for himself to the stuff that he doesn't know. But that was weird, too, because there were moments where he's narrating stuff that even Dematis, I feel like, is jumping through hoops to establish how Peter could talk about this. (laughs) Peter literally at one point is like, well, I don't know that this is what happened, but I like to imagine. (laughs) (laughs) And there there was an air almost of, like, unreliable narration. To, to a degree because he keeps saying Betsy claims or in her book she says yeah. and I personally wasn't sure if we were supposed to believe everything that was in the book I guess we were but it was just weird to phrase things that way if they were all true yeah which I, I kind of like like that was one of the things about the, the Peter narration that actually worked for me like I kind of like the idea of him being like 
hey, this is how I remember this story from my history. And like, here's my perspective on it based on what I know about me and what I know about Quentin based on our interactions and the book that I read, you know, from this person who supposedly knows him so well. So it's like, I kind of like the idea of being like, hey, you're supposed to interpret this based on what you think, you know, like as the reader, you know, like who has met all of these characters and like, like, do you trust what Betsy has to say based on the interaction that you had with her, you know, and, and the way that she behaved and like, I, I would say I agree with Sean where I would say I would take it as mostly fact, you know, um, but it's also that being kind of boiled through Peter's interpretation. So I, I thought it was an interesting that was one of the the times where that that kind of framing device I thought worked for me pretty well, actually. Pete, that's a that's an interesting just like, like idea about it being a like sort of the audience taking a look at Peter's own reflection of an event and like his perspective on that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just like a really cool way to sort of, I guess, start start off the overall narration, if you think about it that way. Yeah, and that was why it kind of worked for me. It was just like the hokey mystery, like him looking at the camera kind of stuff that really like took me out right, of it. Right. But when we were in the thick of it, um, there were times where I thought that um, that that John really like kind of made good use of it. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I, I feel like there are a lot of things that this book does that like work or almost work, but it just kind of like doesn't stick the landing. And like, it, it, like it sets up these things where it's like, oh, that could be interesting that that could play off really well. And it just doesn't always quite get there, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and that was, that's what's weird about this. And again, coming into it i didn't realize who the writer was i recognized the name the mattis i was like yeah but maybe they just have the same last name i don't yeah, know yeah that's what i thought the same exact thought right but then when i look at who the who the writer was knowing now who it was and looking back on the story it's actually surprising how weird it was because he is a writer that i have seen do some really great stuff so, and then this book... And, like, not even just great stuff, specifically great Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this book has elements of stuff that's like that. Like, there, there's... I thought there are good parts of it. But when I was reading it, to be honest, most of the time, I was not reading the dialogue. Because I already understood... I, I already knew what was happening. and I, And I realized, like halfway through the second issue that a majority of what was being put down on the page was irrelevant and yeah. that's the worst thing you can say i feel like about a written work when you don't actually have to read it and i don't i, didn't, I don't feel like i missed out on anything at all by skipping dialogue boxes here and there because there was way too much of it and it said nothing yeah, yeah well and especially because so much of it was recapping things that we had already seen or, or read and recapping things that were happening in the moment like there's one moment where quentin is like walking and um <laughs> peter's like he was walking oh, okay right yeah i can see that <laughs> like, or he, yeah or he talks about how doting and obsessive aunt may is over him as she's doing it it's 
and like three times, you know, like it's like the you know, like this moment works the first time, the second time I got there, I, I agree, and I didn't skip dialogue boxes, but I definitely scanned some of them where I'm just like, okay, like this is more of the same shit. Like, get me to the new information, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like while it it follows the you know the rule of every issue could be someone's first issue. It breaks the rule of show, don't tell. Yeah, like, I feel like it, it's almost slavish to that, like, yeah. that rule, you know? Yeah. Like, it wants you to be able to pick up the third issue in the arc and read it as if you had read the first two. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you should be able to do that, <laughs> you know? I almost I almost don't mind that so much when it's the first page. So the first page of each of these issues it. is him, Peter, just saying what we already know. You skip that. It's when... We're learning about characters that have been in existence at that point already for like 30 years where it's like, all right, come on, guy. We know what Aunt May is like. Peter doesn't need to talk about it ad nauseum. And it's funny because Peter's talking to the reader and it's, it's almost like like we've had this longstanding relationship. So we already know all this. Like, you, you know. Right. Um, but I also think that for a three-issue story... In some ways, it feels like he didn't have a lot to say because there was so much padding, I felt, in this book. Yeah, yeah and then the ending feels rushed. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was odd. I don't know. Like I said, there was definitely stuff that I liked about it, and I liked the overall idea of what Demattis was trying to say and drawing comparisons between two characters that I never, ever would have thought, oh, they're so- oh Peter Parker and... Quentin Beck are very similar. I never would have thought that. But he made it work to where I was like, okay, I, I see where you're going with this, but I think on every other level, things don't work as well. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because like, I feel like it really does show promise. I, I agree with you. I think that that initial idea of like looking at how Peter and specifically Mysterio are similar is like a really interesting and like I, I don't want to say necessarily like nuanced because like I certainly didn't come out that way but like the on its face yeah. that's a good idea yeah. and it, it's a it's a it's a fresh idea it's it's definitely not something that's been done with this character and especially like in the hands of a writer that you know is capable of of elevating a character to new heights like he did with Craven it's it's really disappointing that it's not it's not quite there like, it makes sense that this run hasn't been collected and isn't, you know, like, looked at as, like, a definitive story, you know? Because, like, it's... It's it actually... It has, the, it, it has the makings of it, but I just don't think it, it is. It actually has been collected, uh, although... Really? Yeah, so I went to Midtown Comics because I, I wanted to see if I could buy it, and they had web spinners every issue. It was collected like oh, that. Oh, wow. And then I saw the price tag was $40. I was like, well, I'm Ooh. not going to buy it here because that's a lot of money. But uh, I did want to make another point. So um, we all are reading this book in 2019 with our 2019 brains. And we've experienced a lot of comics and stuff. And so when I was thinking that, wow, this is weird and I don't even think I like it. And I don't know if this is good. It's like, well, what do people at this time like when it was being published think about the book so i paid close attention 
to the reader mail that they were getting, uh-huh. and it was very positive. Really? Yeah. It, That's not surprising to me. It's it, it's it was surprising to me, but when I when I read why they liked it, then I got it. A lot of people felt like this book was um very like the stuff that we picked up on they picked up on it too but they also thought that that was the coolest thing ever like they really like it meant a lot to them and i think that i don't want to like speak for them or whatever but it seemed to me like they like we've been exposed to a lot more of this kind of stuff than they have and mm-hmm. when every story yeah. is filled with word boxes and has weird stuff happen in it, the good stuff, like the, the the best parts of this book, are elevated because everything else isn't like this. Especially when you look at when this was published. This is like right after the Clone Saga. This is like weird stuff has been happening. So I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, and Bendis hadn't quite happened to Marvel yet. No, either. not even close. We're still we're still before like I don't even think Heroes Reborn has quite happened yet. No, I don't think so. This is like ninety nine. I think it was. That's yeah, what, that's what's on the first issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, I don't know, man. I I think it's one of those things where like you're right that I I because I, I don't think this is a bad book. I just don't think it. I don't think it's as good as it could be, and I think that's why we're so harsh on it. But when you think about the context of when it came out, where it's like, you know, let's all be real, like, 90s comics, there was a real downturn in terms of quality for a lot of these there books. problems. You know? <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean that sweeping, right? There's good stuff from the 90s, but by and large, that that uh, i think is is a pretty fair assessment you know so like when you think about this coming out when it did and that it was kind of a step back towards that more cerebral kind of like i don't know like psychological comic writing that you saw in the 80s like i understand why it resonated with readers yeah yeah cuz i didn't dislike it it just like it, it falls apart a little bit, you know, like it, it's, it's just okay. And, and that's a bummer. What did, and, um, uh, Sean, sorry, did you finish your, your, Oh, go for it. Yeah. Um, uh, yo, what did you guys think of the art? Thank you. That's what it, I wanted to talk yo, about. It was can not, I, who, can I, sorry, go, 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 there, go, go on, no, there go. is a, there is a panel in here where Peter Parker looks like the alien Mr. Burns from the episode of the Simpsons where he gets shot. <laughs> I mean, I, the thing that stood out to me was that there were multiple there are multiple panels where there's a character and their eyes are in two different directions. Yeah, yeah dude. Like multiple times yeah, to dude. to the point where I'm just like, what is happening? Like, I feel like I've heard of this artist though, Zuli. Like, is he not? Yeah, is he Michael Michael Zuli was the the primary pencil. But I couldn't he, place who that was. I, I I swear he sounds like known to me for some reason, and huh. I thought. I was just trying to Google him and TMNT came up. Oh. I'm looking right now. Oh, he drew Swamp Thing. Oh, really? Oh, so, Kari, never published issue of Swamp Thing where he, where he meets Jesus Christ. Oh, interesting. All right. I want to read that issue of Swamp Thing. It was never published. Yeah, that sounds pretty never cool. Published. There's a whole story about that, actually. 
Oh. Uh, he worked a little bit on Sandman. He did one issue. He did number 13. Yeah. At any rate, though, like I, I was not into it. There was just problems no. all over the place for me with regard to... The, P, P mentioned like the just even consistency about like people's like face structures, the the way he sized people. It was just all the way up until issue three, where uh, somebody else like comes in to help out. Vince Vince Locke. Uh, it looks a lot of the faces, especially in issue three, look like uh, John Romita Jr. and Mark Bagley. Like it looked like they might have sent some pages off for correction or something by those guys because the, there are some faces in there, uh, especially toward the end where it's like, this is definitely someone else. There's a panel in the first issue where Peter goes to the movies by himself and he sees his buddies where Flash, Flash's face, he looks like he's melting. <laughs> yeah. Or he's wearing a mask, <laughs> like Miss Doubtfire, that movie. He looks like that. Yeah, dude, there's I, I have a page that I pulled out. Um it's I believe it's in the second issue. Uh it's right after um the news that Jonah is like shot is on the TV or whatever. And Aunt May is like uh you know, she's like, Oh, and to meet his ends in such a grisly way at the hands oh of that God. awful Spider Man. And there's this look like Peter, he had, he literally has two different eyeballs. That's the that's like, the one I'm talking about about the Mr. Burns look. Oh, that's the one? Okay, yeah, he literally has two different eyeballs, and it's the it's so fucking weird. He looks zonked. He looks out of his mind. Like it looks it looks like have you guys ever seen the boondocks? No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh like uh, it's Uncle I think it's Uncle Ruckus is his name, and he's got the one little tiny eye oh, and the yeah, really yeah. big wonky one. Like it looks like that. It looks like somebody fucking hit him in the head with a bat and his eye like shrunk. But straight up, have you guys seen what this guy looks like? <laughs> he looks like... He, he looks like a he, wizard. He looks like someone that would work closely in the same religion that Alan Moore does. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, definitely. this is amazing. He straight up looks like a wizard. I, I actually have a little bit of a different take. Um, uh, in some way, the first issue has moments that I really liked. So, um, it's, it, his style is very gritty. And yeah. I really liked that. Sketchy. There were some portions of this that I thought looked pretty cool. Um, the longer it goes, I think the weirder it gets. But even like the first page where he's beating on Joe's nice. And, um, yeah, the, the page where Mysterio and Spider-Man are, at the, the the grave of Jonah Jameson or whatever, that that splash looks pretty cool. I was with it for a, like a little while, and then then we had that page where it looked like uh, um, Flash was melting, and then I was like, all right, this is a little weird. Yeah, like it, it it it's it reminds me of like a lot of the criticisms I have of artists that have this style, where there are moments that are really good, where it feels like there's a lot of effort put in, and then there are times where it just like feels kind of lazy. This is <laughs> no, th this is more than that. Like the 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 majority of this is like okay, who is that? Like some of the some of the pages yeah. with Gwen Stacy, she has like this really like hard face and strong jaw yeah. and yeah. like never have I seen her displayed that way before like just fundamental problems with like who is who 
Um, yeah. Like, I remember when she approaches him at the the mall or whatever it is. To carry her packages and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I was like, who the fuck is that? I was like, yeah. oh, that's Gwen. What the fuck? <laughs> like, there, there are certain, like, attempts for stylistic stuff, but a lot of it comes to, like, Sean, I agree, like, some fundamental stuff of just, like, shaping and, and whatnot. I'm, it, yeah. it, uh, it has this sort of uh, vibe of, like, a 90s vertigo, where, like, they would use, like, a lot of, like, thick... Yeah thick shadows whereas this has some of those shadows but it's really kind of scratchy yeah and it a lot of his spider-man like does look like it's trying to echo ditko yes which sometimes works like i think it's uh yeah this is from the first issue there's the page where it's the splash of mysterio behind spider-man and it's got like the yeah. him becoming Mysterio thing. That's a That's great cool. page. I was just looking at that. On that on that page you were referencing uh earlier, Pete, where he uh where With Peter walked out eyeballs. No no no, where he uh where he meets uh Gwen. Mm, um, yeah. At the bottom of that page, he Spider Man is climbing down a tree, and you know what? It looks pretty good, but literally two panels later, it's like like my my sister draws better than that. Like, what is this? I think the thing that really did it for me is I I don't remember where it was. I believe it was in the first issue. Uh, but there's a page where it, I think it's one of the first times you see Peter in the suit, and the spider like isn't even a circ a perfect circle, like on his on his chest. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? You can't even get the logo on his yeah. chest, right? Like, <laughs> it's just like there's a. It's very shapeless at times, you know, like the things that should have really clearly, especially Spider-Man, right? Like he has such a clear visual language of the way he moves and stuff. And a lot of it just feels like kind of just flat. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, it's it's definitely it's, it's definitely weird. Definitely weird. But I. I didn't like it more than I liked it, but there were parts where I liked it, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. It's not all bad. Um, but again, like in the first issue, the the this the first scene where J. Jonah's in hell, he has two different eyeballs. <sighs> happens again there. Yep. Uh the next page is Quentin and there's like a a, a pa- like him like kind of looking at Jonah and like he's like smugly like smiling and it literally just looks like somebody took silly putty. And like got his face from Wait, a, you know from a page bad. and then stretched it. Yeah, it is. His face looks so fucking distorted. Nah, that, that one looked that was alright. He's like mm. <laughs> Well, I can tell you this. Uh I'm looking at issue four with uh Dematis's uh compatriot Keith Giffen, and it ain't much better. <laughs> <laughs> So what you're telling me is we shouldn't read the Rhino storyline for the next book club? Well, this one is seems to be uh, Silver Surfer. Oh, okay. Maybe so, Rhino's uh, later. I, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> this is it's a very interesting <laughs> story. I did I did want to quickly read uh, just for some alternative opinions uh, a little bit of the <laughs> reader mail they got. Uh, just a quick line from the indivi- one of the individuals who wrote in and spoke on the art. He said. Michael Zuli put a great deal of grit and realism into his work with just the right blend of the horror fantasy, which has been his forte. So he he loved it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the like the covers are cool. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the scene, for the most part, the scenes in where Jameson is in hell and the scene isn't focused around Jameson, though, that's not bad. <laughs> most of the time when he doesn't have to just draw faces, because, like, all the stuff he does with Mysterio's costume where he, like, reflects Spider-Man's mask off of it yeah. or, like, like, that stuff is all cool. It's just, like, the the human body stuff is really, like, a little bit shapeless and, and too sketchy, you know? Like, I, I can get behind a gritty style like this sometimes, but this is just, I think it's a little too much. His style reminds me of Guy Davis a bit. Um, I don't know if you guys have read uh, Sandman Mystery Theater or um, uh, Fantastic Four Unstable Molecules. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got a real noir vibe to him. Um, yeah. And it is very similar uh, in this sketchy style, but it's it's all a bit tighter. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see that. It feels reminiscent of that kind of stuff. Like, it does remind me of the style of something like Sandman. But it, it, but not as well executed. Well, yeah, Sandman Mystery Theater is uh, a bit different. Spin it's off. a it, no, no, it's a completely different no? character. Yeah. Also called the Sandman, or like early, oh, early Sandman. Okay, okay. Yeah, he, he it's uh, it's about uh, Wesley Dodds, who is the uh, uh, the Golden Age Sandman. Oh, all right. Um, but hmm. uh, yeah, so so the other the other thing I wanted to quickly talk about was the issue that uh well not an issue but it's like a backup story that oh, the kiss the Mattis did yeah the kiss um with john romita that was great senior senior yes yes yeah and it's weird because the writing in that one is also better yep absolutely <laughs> maybe he's a romance guy yeah and i mean uh, it, like the art's really good too i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. a sucker for for this for this classic style, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, ah, it's like, it's weird because of what you pointed out before, where it's like, it really just feels like he didn't have that much to say in these three issues. And this is like just a couple pages and it's so much better. Yeah. I, I think that the ground of, Peter's relationship with Gwen Stacy is probably a lot easier to navigate and work in than having to create some, you know, dynamic between Peter and Mysterio and everything else. This is well-worn territory already. So he just worked in that. And he's obviously a very good writer, so he did it well. Well, and I wonder, too, if this is done in the Marvel style. Like, surely it is with these fucking paragraph text boxes. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but it was good to see It was good to see Gwen again. This reminded me of, of Spider-Man Blue in a way, like a very mm-hmm. yeah. smaller version of that. And it was actually very, very touching and uh, sad. Yeah, it's it's like this is this is the kind of stuff I really go for. You know, um, it, it's very like melancholy, you know, and like I, I think like the tone is it's it's like just right. Yeah, this was this was really cool. Yeah, like honestly, it's funny for all my faults with the the three issues, you know, um, and and the sum of their parts. Like this this was definitely made it worth the read. I think <laughs> I wasn't even going to bring it up. I'm glad you did. You know what else made this worth worth the read? And this is the last thing I have to bring up. 
Man, these commercials in between the book are <laughs> fantastic. The Pokemon oh ones. Oh my god, yes. I really yes. love the It's literally like an OG red and blue ad yeah, in this man. book. Yep. I loved all these commercials. The one for uh for Squaresoft. Yeah. <laughs> with games that like I played then, you know? Um this is just yeah. this is cool. I love reading old comics for that well that's one of the main reasons why i enjoy it i like old commercials but yeah me too uh i will say one last thing i want to call out which was just you know the 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 moment itself isn't very well drawn but getting to see spider-man in a cowboy hat and go yeah was pretty good i was a fan of that <laughs> uh so before we get out of here um i you know we'll we'll just kind of go around and give our overall you know, final review score of the book, as it were. Um, Sean, why don't you start? Yeah. Uh, so, would I recommend this? That's the call here, typically. And the answer is no. Not because I hated it, but because I think that for someone who maybe doesn't read old comics a lot, this one would be very hard to stomach because even though it's only three issues, it feels like five because of all the dialogue boxes. Oh my god, yeah, it's so long. And Dark Phoenix we read recently, which has a lot of dialogue boxes as well, but those feel like you want to read them, and the art is really great, so it helps. Um, this book has a good premise, and I like some of the stuff that Dematis laid down, but overall, I think between the art and some of the wackier choices and just a lack of substance, I feel like this is an easy pass, especially for someone who doesn't ever read books that came out prior to the modern era of comics, whenever you want to, you know, cross, uh, divide that line. So, um, I would not recommend this. I think that there are things that are better representations of Spider-Man for a Mysterio story, I don't have context for any other story. Um, so I can't, I, I, I won't advise on that. <laughs> um, but I think there's, there's better Spider-Man stories out there and, and I would rather you read those first before than this. Yeah. Hard agree. Uh, I, I figure if you know about Mysterio, you know about Spider-Man. So if you're gung ho about, needing a Mysterio recommendation, I'm going to direct you to his book with Daredevil more than anything else. And what's that called again, Kale? Uh That was Daredevil, uh, Guardian Devil from uh, Kevin Smith and I believe Joe Quesada. I'd also like to point out that at the time of the release of this podcast, there is a um, there is a miniseries being published by Marvel that probably is done right now where it just kind of tells a story of Spider-Man and Mysterio that's never been told before. It takes place during the time that Spider-Man is wearing the symbiote costume. So the book I'm talking about is is uh, Spider-Man Symbiote, and or Symbiote Spider-Man number one, rather. And it's just a, a story that, that takes place between Spider-Man and Mysterio, um, and it's it's him with the the actual symbiote, not just the black costume that he made after. Um, it might end up being better than what we read. I don't know, but I believe Mysterio is also the the the, the villain in the Spider Man 
series. Oh, yeah. Where uh, uh, 616 Spider-Man goes to uh, Ultimate Universe. Yeah. And it's like, it is like Ultimate Mysterio, I think, but it's like, who gives a shit? Well, Ultimate Mysterio is different. <laughs> Six of one, man. It's 2019. Who gives a shit? We, saw, we all saw Spider-Verse. We get it. Can I hear about the TV show? Okay, so what I think about the book is <laughs> I would echo a lot of the same sentiments. Um, I I don't think it's b- bad, but I also don't think it's like noteworthy enough for you to like go back and read. You know, if you're looking to read an old Spider-Man book from this era, um, there are plenty of others. I mean, we 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 name dropped Craven's uh, Last Hunt a couple times. If you haven't read that, definitely go read that before you read this guy. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, thank you guys for joining us here on another edition of the Comics Pals Book Club. As always, if you want to write in and let us know what you thought about the book, uh, you can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Follow at thecomicspals wherever your social media is sold and let us know. Twitter's probably the easiest way to do that. Or get us in those comments down below wherever you've chosen to listen to the show. And if you want to help us out, as always, you can give us one of those sweet, sweet subscribes. Uh, you know, go give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platforming platform of choice, excuse me. And and uh, let people know that we're out here and we're doing a show that you enjoy. And uh, Marco, what's the next book club? I'm putting you on blast. You got it this I time? I don't. But. Good, you're trash. I know when it's coming out. Oh, that, great. August 26th. And that'll be a surprise. That's helpful. It'll be a surprise. So it is helpful. It's a helpful surprise. <laughs> Tune in on August 26th for something else. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. And uh, if if for some reason this is your first time joining us, you can catch the four of us along Wait, with our compatriot Phil. It's July twenty sixth. I so you didn't even get the date I'm right. Sorry. That was the one piece of information you had. Wow. Okay, so if you want to tune into this train wreck on a more regular basis, you can find the four of us as well as our compatriot Phil. Over on the Comics Pals proper, which airs every Monday on podcast platforms all over the place. Uh, so we hope you'll tune into that and uh, continue to join us on this journey into the comic universe. So with that, uh, catch you next month. Take care. Bye.